Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Capital Stewards Podcast. Today, we are talking all things real estate. We're going to dive into this diverse market, talk about different asset types, what might be a good fit for you right now in regards to investments. And Brian's going to give us the whole 401. The whole 401? Is that that's something that people still say? I think it's 411. Is, is that like the dial for information? Yeah, 411. No, I don't, I don't know that you can still do that. Although my my new iPhone that I got yesterday does come fully equipped with OnStar, which GM basically had like 47 years ago in cars. If, you, if you're in an accident, it will dial up a satellite and communicate with it, which I thought was interesting technology that Apple's decided to finally incorporate in the in the iPhone. So now my iPhone has awesome. has like two decade old star technology. So but I don't know if you can call 410 for information. Anyway, so let's talk about real estate. Hello, and welcome to the Capital Stewards Podcast. Are you a professional who wants straightforward, trustworthy financial strategies you can act on? Are you entering your highest income earning years and discovering that your personal finances are becoming too complex? We get it. You're a highly competent professional, but you don't have time to go deep on your personal finances the way you do with your day job. Hi, I'm Brian, and helping professionals make smart financial decisions is my passion. I run a financial advisory practice called the Capital Stewards, and work with professionals like you who are trying to cut through the noise every day. It's time to stop Googling every question you have about money and dive into some real professional guidance. So let's get moving. Let's talk about real estate. Where should we start? We should start first talking about, you know, what a diverse market this is. I think people, you know, they talk about real estate and what comes to mind is like, an Airbnb, but I'm sure it's more complex than that. Give us the, the lay of the land. Yeah, the, the real estate market is really large and really diverse. And so when we talk about investing in real estate, that would be sort of like us just saying, you should invest in stocks. The natural reaction to that, I think, is kind of a puzzled expression from clients like, which ones and through what vehicle and how should we actually do that? I like to break real estate into three main categories. That's land, raw land residential where people live and then business oriented or commercial so raw land obviously empty lots but that also includes farmland timber natural resource leases and maybe property that can be developed into something else but just hasn't been developed yet so there's a lot of subcomponents even within just sort of the land space in residential obviously you've got single family homes but you've got condos and apartments um, other types of properties that are meant for people to live in. And then in the commercial space, you've got office space, um, which we'll spend some time on, but you've also got industrial facilities, retail stores, medical buildings, hospitals, storage facilities. I mean, anything that is business oriented, right, kind of fits in into commercial, right? You even got hotels in there. And then I also kind of put short term. So classic kind of hotels are in the commercial property space. But we think about short-term rentals, which we're going to spend some time on in this episode because a lot of our clients are interested in sort of the short-term rental space, Airbnb, all of that. That's really residential. And, and the reason that it's classified that way is because originally the property was meant for housing. So even if you're, you know, if you buy a house and you're putting it on Airbnb, it was originally meant as housing for families. And so it goes in that in that residential category. And over time, the long-term returns on that on that property are going to look more like housing returns and not like commercial property returns. So that's kind of where they sit. So when we think about building a real estate portfolio, we want to diversify across the different types of real estate holdings. And so 
We want to own some commercial property. We want to own some residential property. We don't just want to own one little tiny slice of, of real estate. Most folks, I think, Brian, when they think about real estate, think about residential. So why don't we spend a little bit more time there? Let's dive into the context of what's happening in 2023. You know, I'm sure that there are some folks out there that are skeptical of this asset class. Talk to us a little bit more about residential real estate in 2023, 2024, what your outlook is, and uh, whether you consider now a good time to invest in residential real estate. Yeah, so residential real estate, I think, still looks pretty attractive. Housing was underbuilt in the U.S. over the last decade by probably five to seven million homes, depending on the particular study that you subscribe to. And housing starts are currently running about 200,000 units per year over the long-term average. So if you think about, I need to make up five to seven million, and I'm I'm adding maybe 200,000 more than average, it's going to take years uh, to build enough inventory to balance the market. That's been reflected in home prices and rents so far in 2023, even with mortgage rates you know, hovering at 7%, and then this past week going over 8% in some markets, the Case-Shiller National Home Price Index is essentially flat over the past year. So the significant value increases that we saw in 2021 and 2022 are behind us, but prices are pretty stable um, where we are now. And that's because there's so much demand for housing. Even if transaction volume goes down a little bit, uh, people aren't moving as much, prices are kind of holding those those higher values in in a lot of markets. There's obviously exceptions, and, and there are markets that are down, some things that shot up a ton during during the pandemic. We've seen some corrections there, but when we look overall at, at the at the country, we see sort of a, a flattish kind of real estate market. And, and we sort of expect most markets, real estate values will continue to grow modestly over the next few years back to single digit historical trends. So this may seem strange to you, but your house is not supposed to appreciate at 20% a year. Typically, <laughs> real estate grows somewhere between maybe three and 5%. That's normal. And so that's kind of the world that we see things going going back to. So you, it sounds like you have a favorable mindset to residential real estate. Within that, there's still multiple ways in. There's multifamily apartments and homes. There's like going the sh- short-term rental, longer-term rental. Talk about how you think of sort of those three options. And maybe let's start first with multifamily. Yeah, so multifamily apartments and homes, they, they've been able to increase rent rates closer to one to three percent per year here recently. So we're out of the double digit increases that we saw over the last couple of years. And that's actually contributing to lower inflation in the economy, which is kind of overall a good thing. So rental units will continue, I think, to benefit near term because mortgage rates are really high. That makes it really difficult, especially for first time home buyers to buy houses. And so I think there's there's going to be demand for housing, which we talked about. And and that means that people are going to go where they can go. And that's going to be in into rentals, particularly in the in the longer term rental space over the next um, year or two while rates are, are really high. And so values are down a little bit in the multifamily space over the last 12 months. And that's because interest rates have gone up the way that commercial property is valued has a lot to do with sort of the rent that's coming in and then and then what are called cap rates and those move with interest rates. So as interest rates go up, those cap rates go up. And so that means the value of the properties go down. So they're down a little bit, 10 to 15% from where they were over the last couple of years. But if you look at that over a longer period of time, multifamily apartments saw really big housing or really big valuation increases over the last, you know, four or five years coming out of COVID. And so they're down a little bit from the peaks, but they're still up probably from where they were, say, five years ago. So I think I think that market is is also still pretty, pretty attractive because we're getting assets at a little bit of a discount compared to maybe what we were able to get them at sort of last year. Awesome. So that's a little more on multifamily. We said we were going to talk about that 
short-term rentals and longer-term rentals. Let's talk a little bit about short-term rentals. Is now a good time to be yeah. an Airbnb host? Yeah, so let's talk about Airbnb and and short-term rentals is just sort of the business the businessy word for Airbnb and VRBO and and all that kind of stuff. We actually did some research on this. We looked at short-term rental economics across five markets, Huntsville, being one because that's where we we live, but also Nashville and Atlanta and Salt Lake City and LA. So we got a, a kind of a good cross section of business cities and East Coast, West Coast, big cities, smaller cities, all kinds of things. And we looked at the value data that you can pull from Zillow and then also the rental market data from from Rabu. So Rabu is, a, is an aggregator that pulls together short-term rental pricing in markets. And for existing owners with mortgages at lower rates, those properties still continue to provide solid cash flow. There's still demand. You know, travels down a little bit. So, you know, maybe the second half of this year won't be as good as maybe the first half and then as good as 2022. But overall, if you own those properties already, returns are still looking pretty good. However, if you're looking to add properties to your portfolio, this is where things kind of become problematic because those higher mortgage rates and the flattening sort of revenue curve, right? So rents have been increasing a lot, but but now that's kind of flattened out to that sort of one to 3% range. So it's not keeping up with the increase in mortgage rates. That means that new properties are generating operating cash flow losses. And so that means you're going to have to add your own value on top of what you're charging in rent every single year on a new property that you buy to meet the mortgage that the property management and the tax obligations that the property is going to going to incur every year. You can still and this is achieve true of, of short-term rentals. Like basically what you're saying is it's more expensive to buy a property today because of interest rates and the the rate you can charge on an Airbnb or a VRBO is likely not going to make up in the metros that you looked at for what you spend yeah. on your property. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. You know, especially short term and long term families have thought about real estate investing in the past is, hey, if I can buy an asset and at least have it cover its own expenses then I can get at least get the appreciation out of it long term. And that's been a pretty good deal, right? It doesn't have to necessarily cash flow. It just has to to meet that bar of providing for itself. And because rates are so high right now, the properties are not able to actually provide enough cash flow to cover all of their expenses. And so you're you're going to have to put money from other sources of, you know, either your your employment income or from other businesses into those properties every year in order to be able to pay the mortgage um, and support the property management activities that, that have to happen. You can still earn good returns. You can still get those mid-teen kind of return percentages, but all of that return comes from the property and then the inherent leverage that you have through a mortgage and and that appreciation continued to still happen over time, not from the actual cash flow that's coming from the rental. So, and if you're a really high income earner and you've got a lot of, of cash flow, that that might still be okay because you can still use the depreciation, you can still use interest deductions, and so your actual returns can still be pretty high. But you've got to be able to have cash flow from somewhere to support new property acquisitions, I think, in the short-term rental market currently. And we're gonna we'll put on our on the the perspective section of our website, we'll put the the data that we gathered from those markets and so you can see where some of those numbers are, are coming from. But it's a difficult market to to be buying in new properties. New properties, period, or new properties to you. New new properties to you. So to adding properties to your portfolio, whether they're whether they're new, a uh, new build or an existing unit that someone is selling. If you're going to have to go through and finance the property today at high rates, which you will have to do if you buy it, then it's a challenging environment to be able to do that and and create a property that's going to have positive cash flow. Okay, so let me tell you what's running through my head. I've heard maybe this is not true 
there are many scenarios where you make more money doing a short-term rental than a long-term rental. So if short-term rentals can't cover the cost of the mortgage, why would you invest in single-family housing at all? So because you believe so much in the long term of it. Yeah. So so you said a, a couple of things in there. So when we think about short term rentals for a long time, short term rental revenue, and this is still true today, is, is higher. Short term rental revenue is higher than the the revenue that comes in on a daily basis from long term rentals, and that's because you're you're competing sort of with a hotel. You can charge more. You've also got some incremental cost to to change over, you know, the property from one person to the next. But but it is it is still true that it is it's possible to earn higher returns in markets that attract a lot of travel in the short term rental space versus the longer term rental space. You're going to get more cash flow out of those properties. You can kind of extract a premium because people are willing to pay that to be there for a short period of time. That's, a, I would say, a separate conversation from interest rates making it more expensive across the board to be able to buy real estate economically. So it doesn't matter whether you're investing in an Airbnb property or you're going to buy a property and lease it to a family for five years. If interest rates go up, both of those equations sort of suffer equally. Does that make sense? Yeah, but it makes sense. But then it kind of goes back to is now really a good time to invest in real estate? Doesn't sound to me like it really is that great. I, I don't. I don't. You think have to have now, a lot of cash flow in order to do this right now. You're saying, yeah. based on the research you've done, the asset's not going to pay for itself. That's correct. So I think for a lot of people, if you don't have a really high income where you can really benefit from taking some of the depreciation, interest deductions, and other things, I don't know that now is the best time to invest in in real estate. I think you might get um, more opportunities down the road. But again, the tax situations are really unique to each individual investor. And so if you've got a lot of income coming in, when you think about, you know, having flat-ish properties from a cash flow perspective, even if if they're, you know, even if you're having to inject a little bit of, of cash in there every year, but you're able to take really significant depreciation and and other, you know, tax benefits, you know, it might still be worthwhile for for those kinds of investors. So it, it just the answer is it depends. Yeah, but it sounds like it depends for a lot smaller group of people. If the asset's not going to pay for itself, you have costs to upkeep it, you have costs to maintain it, and you can get a reasonable return in other places. Why would you go to this asset class right now? Because you can still earn 15 to 25% a year, which is hard to do other places. Can you? Yeah. So the thing that makes real estate different than almost every other asset class is you're almost always using leverage. And so even if you buy a property and you have to put a few thousand dollars every year into the property to make ends meet, you know, you're earning three or 4% levered up, right? So you're earning three or 4%, you know, but you only had to put 20% of the equity into that property. You still have really strong returns over a long period of time. So real estate is unique in that way. And so even though this may not be the best time when we think about, you know, what has happened over the last five or 10 years to own real estate, you still can get pretty significant returns in the real estate market. Okay. So we talked about, you know, residential, single or multifamily housing. Talk a little bit about commercial real estate. My hypothesis is this is not looking so optimistic based off of the headlines yeah. I've read, but would love to know, you know, since you spend much more time researching and, and learning in the space, if you agree with the headlines or if you have a different point of view. Yeah. So I, I think just like the 
the residential space, commercial real estate is really diverse. And so, and I want to spend some time on, on office in particular, because I think that's what drives a lot of the headlines, but, but there are some opportunities in the commercial space and we'll, we'll kind of talk about some of those. So maybe let's start with office because that's what's in the news every day. That's what everybody hears about. And we can kind of, we can kind of cover that and then we'll, we'll dive into some things that maybe are a little bit more attractive than, than sort of your, your standard office space. So According to Bloomberg, return to office rates in the U.S. are only about 50% of pre-pandemic levels. When you when you actually think about the building occupancy, not just, hey, I'm supposed to be in the office this day a week or that day a week, but literally there are only half of the number of people going into the office um, on a daily basis compared to before the pandemic. So that means that there's literally millions of square feet of existing office space that sits unused every single day. And what's even more interesting is that in addition to this, all this open space that we have, there's new office construction happening on an above average rate, and there's new offices being delivered every single month. And the reason for that is because those projects started before the pandemic, and it takes a long time to build an office building. So they're just now getting done. So we're going to have, you know, we have an existing sort of lot of unused space. We're going to have new deliveries. That's going to put even more pressure on the market. Um, and even though now new projects aren't starting, that's only going to, that sort of delayed construction is only going to help four or five, six years from now when those projects start to get done. And so I think, I, I think the office market in particular is, is pretty, is pretty challenging. In addition to uh, what, what you see from a supply demand perspective, you've also got a refinancing sort of issue that's happening. So I, I think this may be something that a lot of folks don't understand, but most office buildings are owned by real estate investors. And they they don't buy them and own them for 40 or 50 years. It, again, exceptions to every rule, but a lot of times those properties have to be refinanced every five to seven years. And so there's a, a there's a recent recent Wall Street Journal article um, that called it the doom loop. And I think this is over exaggerated. It's a little bit like the death of equities, right? I don't think I don't think this is the death of office, but I do think there's more pain to come kind of in 2024 in the office space. That's interesting. I don't I don't really understand the connection. How are high interest rates impacting commercial real estate? Like why is that a problem? Yeah, so if you think about a like a commercial property that was originally purchased for something like 10 million dollars, probably 70% of that was debt and 30% of it was equity. So that means that the owner borrowed 7 million dollars and they used their own capital for 3 million dollars to get to that 10 million dollar purchase price, right? Well, now that property is worth closer to say eight and a half million dollars. It's not worth $10 million anymore. So in order to refinance that loan, the owner can still only borrow 70% of the current value. Well, now that's $6 million, right? So before they borrowed seven, now they can only borrow $6 million. So that means they've got to come up with a million dollars out of their pocket from somewhere else to add to the deal if they want to continue to own the property. So, and on top of that, the new loan is going to come at a, at a significantly higher interest rate. And so they've got to be able to raise their rents to pay for the higher interest rate of the new loan. And obviously when you've got so much empty office space, a, a company that's leasing that space is going to say, I'm not going to pay you more. I'm just going to go somewhere else where I can get a better deal. So if you can't add extra capital and you can't support higher interest rates, then you've got to sell the building or you've got to return it to the bank sort of as a default. Right. And so, you know, that's, that's sort of what you hear about in the cycle. And, and you've got to keep in mind that the bank if if you say, hey, if that's fine, I'm just going to give you the keys back. I'm not going to own this anymore. I'll move on and do something else and lose my initial investment. The bank only needs to sell a property for $7 million. They don't actually really care that it was originally bought for 10. They have a loan for $7 million. All they want to do is get their $7 bucks back. And so they turn around and sell that property that was $10 million initially. Now it's worth close to eight and a half. Well, they sell it for seven. 
So that pulls all the market prices down for, you know, a similar office space in a market and so based on banks are incentivized to sell sort of get their $7 million and move on with just the way that the regulation works and their capital requirements and all those kinds of things. And so that kind of cycle further depresses the value of, of properties in sort of in the area. So, so that's why higher interest rates are particularly problematic, you know, especially combined with sort of all of the vacancies and, and issues that we see in the, in the office market. The good news is interest rates are going to fall in 2024 and 2025. I don't think that they're going to stay at, at such sort of high levels. And so that over time makes it easier to get some of these, some of these deals done, but it's a long, slow grind of a process. It, it's not, this is not a, a real estate crisis like we saw in 2007, 2008, but it's going to take a long time for this process to sort of complete itself. And so you're looking at kind of an overhang of office space for the next uh, several years. And that makes sense. So I don't know. I'm a little, I'm still a little uh, hesitant about, you know, investment in real estate at large. Talk to me about in kind of wrapping this up as we've talked about the different asset classes. If you wanted to invest in this space, where would you focus? What would your watch outs be for our listeners? So let's talk about some things that I think still work in real estate. So in the office space market, there's one category of office space that's completely unaffected by all of the sort of challenges that we've seen. That's what you hear the uh, term is class A office, or I think better known to folks who are listening to this is just the best office space in a particular market or a trophy property. Those spaces are modern. People want to work in them, right? They're cool places to go. They have all the amenities that everybody wants. And as a result, they're more desirable to companies that are looking to lease space. There are companies out there, they're, maybe they're building defaults or they want to raise the rent. And so they're, they're going to move from one space to another space. And where they're going to go is a place where their workers actually want to be on a regular basis. They're going to go into, into class A space. And what we're seeing a lot of is folks are trading down. And instead of having you know five buildings that are class B or class C, they move to a smaller footprint in more expensive class A office space. And so that particularly hurts the other segments of office. So I think class A trophy properties are still doing, doing pretty well. Nobody wants to be in sort of boring cubicles from the 90s with fluorescent lights overhead for 10 hours a day. People just don't like that. And so if you can be in, if you're going to invest in office space, it just needs to be class A office space that people really want to be a part of. And I think as family investors, that just means it's really important that we stay away from some of those kind of like, I'll call it like sort of local community office buildings. You see a lot of these when you drive around and you go like, I don't know if anybody really wants to be there. And if it doesn't look like anybody really wants to be there, it's probably not a great place um, to be investing in real estate right now. So in addition to class A space, I think industrial the industrial sector rents are still growing modestly and when we think about industrial you know think of this as warehouses and manufacturing space right there was a lot of hype around warehouse space to support kind of e-commerce coming out of the pandemic some of that was probably overrated because we saw a ton of physical goods that shipped during the pandemic that you know didn't that didn't actually continue to happen right people bought a bunch of stuff and now they've stopped and they've been back to services the economy didn't pivot perpetually to buying you know tons of things from Amazon and have all that stuff stacked up on your porch. But industrial space that supports advanced manufacturing in the U.S. is in better shape. And, and I think that's particularly a compelling opportunity there. And then retail, again, maybe contrary to popular opinion given sort of e-commerce, continues to do really, really well. Rents are increasing, but only for the right spaces and the right businesses. Retail that's designed for services 
So think gyms or nail salons or things like that. That's doing really, really well. And then, you know, places that are sort of old school shopping centers that nobody really wants to go anymore. Those things are underperforming. And so I think when I think about retail, I think, again, just places that you really enjoy going, those are the kind of retail spaces that are doing well. And so the places that you go begrudgingly to pick things up that you would rather order online, those things are doing poorly. And so I think you really have to be, whether it's it's office space or retail space, I think you just want to be really cautious and really selective about the properties that you're buying and that you're buying that everyone wants to be a part of, everyone wants to go visit, everyone wants to go work there, as opposed to just sort of buying a property to own a property in in kind of the market that we're in right now. So Brian, let's recap for our listeners. So overall, residential real estate, I think, is more attractive than commercial space within commercial, industrial and retail are more attractive than office for the foreseeable future. I don't think there's going to be a crisis akin to 2007, 2008. I do think we're in this sort of prolonged slow grind for office prices to kind of adjust, to reduce occupancy, to work out the existing space that is in the market. And, and for all of that to get settled and work through the financial system. While the commercial market needs more time to balance, I think there's opportunities maybe for investors in individual properties that need to be refinanced. So that that kind of wall that we talked about around refinancing means that there might be some, some properties there that are worth eight and a half million dollars that you can buy for seven. And so I do think when we go through any of these types of, of these periods where there's a lot of stress happening in the real estate market, that means you might be able to pick up a, an asset for below a market value because someone has to sell it and there just aren't that many buyers. So I think, you know, being someone who's able to provide financing when it's scarce can be really good for for multi-generational families. So I, I think caution is warranted overall. And I think it's it's about being really choosy about particular properties. And that's always somewhat true in real estate, but I think it's more true today than it has been in the past. But I, I do think it's important. We talked about this a little bit in the last episode, you know, real estate needs to be, you know, somewhere between 10 and 20% of your portfolio. And so if it's not, I think perhaps using this as an opportunity to increase your allocation of real estate makes sense if you can do it in a way that is, that's really choosy about the properties that you own. I think that can be successful over the long term. Awesome. Well, thanks, Brian. And thanks everyone for listening to the Capital Stewards podcast. We'll be back again soon and look forward to seeing you then. Commentary provided is for general audiences and educational purposes only. It should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice for your specific situation. That's why you should talk to a professional. Hello. Past performance of market results is no assurance of future performance. All the information on the podcast has been obtained from sources we deem reliable as of the date of this recording, but it's not guaranteed.